In the name of the one who was and is and is to come, to whom we cry, Hosanna, save us now, Lord. Amen. Uh, It seems like some in God's church take the Apostle Paul's words out of context or they stop listening to what he has to say and they assert either verbally or by their posture and actions that what Paul says to the Thessalonians, we don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about those who have died so that you may not grieve. That's not what he says. I mean, it is what he says, but it's not all he says. He doesn't say, so that you may not grieve. He says, so that you may not grieve like those who don't have hope. So he is talking about a certain uh, kind of grief. So much of what uh, we do and say and believe this morning in this Holy Eucharist um, connects to grieving with hope, which is what I want to talk about this morning, mostly about the hope part, um, but a little bit about grief. This letter to the church in Thessalonica is likely the first letter that Paul wrote, that at least that we have. Um, we heard in Robert's sermon two weeks ago that at the beginning of the letter, he's giving thanks and saying that he mentions these people constantly in his prayers, remembering their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Robert pointed out, you know, that those three virtues, if you will, right? Faith and hope and love. We hear much in this letter about Paul's love and affection for these people. I mean, says it numerous times. And he also talks about their love and affection for each other. And as I set the table for talking through this, talking about this passage with you, uh, one other really fascinating thing is that while there weren't chapters and verses when Paul wrote this, every chapter of the five chapters of 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ our Lord which seems to imply that um, it's something he talked to them about a lot when he was with them. And he's bringing their mind back to that, that it's a core part of his teaching or his doctrine. Okay, so steadfastness of hope, lots of love, and Jesus is coming again um, is, is kind of the context. Paul had apparently received word Right When we read an epistle, we're hearing one, it's sort of like me trying to figure out who Brooke's talking to and what they're talking about when I hear her on the phone. 
That, that's part of the challenge in reading an epistle. And so when Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, my brothers and sisters, about those who have fallen asleep, we deduce that he had received word either verbally or through a letter from them, like we're discouraged, confused, and distressed about the people dying in our community. How does this fit in with what you told us about that Jesus is coming soon to be the king of everything and to establish his kingdom? So he says, we don't want you to be uninformed. I have some things uh, to talk to you about. And and, and he, here it is, in a nutshell, it's the second verse in our reading. Um, again, I said this at eight. I, I, I should have said before this sermon, like, hopefully you have your Bible today. Um, I, think, I think it would probably uh, help some of what I'm about to say to make, make some sense. But he says, following that, in the second verse in our reading, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. That's his point. We believe Jesus died and rose again, and therefore we believe God will bring with Jesus those who have died in him. That's his main point. That the, the heart of hope, the substance, object, subject of Christian hope, and so of grieving with hope, is the crucified, risen, and coming one. It's expressed in the second paragraph of the Nicene Creed. We're all going to proclaim the mystery of faith in a few minutes. What is it? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Note that Paul says, God will bring with him, bring with him, not he's going to take people away. More on that in a little bit. Uh, but first, just some, some comments about hope. We, we use hope in a similar way as we use the word love. I love chocolate chip cookies. And I hope there's going to be some chocolate chip cookies out on the pavilion. I love the Celtics. And I hope they win the title this year. You know, fill in the blank. That's not what we're talking about. We can think of hope as optimism or a positive attitude. Um, the Reverend Tish Warren writes in her new book, we, we, a few Advent, last two Advents ago, I think we read her book, Prayer in the Night, great book. Um, she has a new book on the liturgical season of Advent, subtitled The Season of Hope. And she writes there that uh, hope is not to be confused with privilege, peppiness, or a denial of just how broken things really are. Hope is not about denial. 
We cannot embrace true hope without also acknowledging the pain and sinfulness of the world and of our own lives. I'm still quoting Tish. Hope is the comfort. Hope is the comfort of the poor and of those in need. It is not a trite bliss formed through our own effort, wealth, or success. Hear that, residents of the Eastern Shore. She continues, Christian hope is not a whistling in the dark a way to minimize the stark facts of reality. It is a conviction about the ultimate outcome of history, which is not in jeopardy. Jesus Christ has conquered sin and death. Amen. Amen. But the context of hope here, what she says, um, and hear it in our scriptures today, at least certainly Amos and Thessalonians, that the context of hope, uh, we have hope because things aren't the way they ought to be. They aren't the way we want them to be, right? So the context of hope is why it's often referred to as, in Thess in the, right in the beginning of Thessalonians, their steadfastness of hope or with endurance, or with suffering. And I won't take the time to go to all those scriptures. Hope, especially Christian hope, is about longing. It is about desire uh, that the beauty or goodness we've had glimpses of will come to fulfillment and consummation. Which is to say... Christian hope is about love. It's about love fulfilled. It's about wrongs being made right. It's about being finally and fully rescued and saved. It's about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. The hope to which I think Paul is referring, and I'm going to circle back to at the end of the sermon, and what I think the Spirit is saying today, it's about a durable hope or an embodied hope. It's not something we're doing mind tricks about or like trying to convince ourselves about. It's something we actually experience in our being that helps us through difficult times. There's much more to be said about hope, um, but I want to focus on this passage from the epistle today. Um, so Paul continues and says, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, which is really intriguing, so he's, ref he's saying, like, Jesus talked about this. E either in the written Gospels, or he heard it word of mouth, or Jesus said it to him, like, personally. But um, 
we declare by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who remain until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have died. Now, in the Greek, it actually says this, will not, not precede those who have died. I mean, it's kind of, it, he's making, it. literally, it's two different words for not, which he rarely ever, I don't know if he does it anywhere else. It's like, hear this, they will not, not, we won't precede them. God has them. Jesus has them. The word he uses for coming here, the coming of the Lord, is not the normal Greek word for to come, which is just a very standard generic word uh, normally. This is a word some of you maybe have heard of, parousia. Um, this word in that Hellenistic culture of, of, of the Mediterranean, the Roman Empire, had basically two meanings. The first was sort of a, a when a mysterious presence of a divinity like is manifested, for example, maybe through a healing, and people are like, oh my gosh, I think God's here. Parousia, presence. The other is, and both of these are really important as Paul's like speaking uh, to the Thessalonians. The second is when a person of high rank would make a visit to a subject state, uh, especially like when a king or emperor would visit a colony or a province like Philippi or Thessalonica. The word for such a visit is royal presence or Parousia. Just tuck that away, and it may already be making sense where Paul's going with this. He goes on and says, For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, the sound of God's trumpet will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Um, we're, this is mystery. Remember my sermon a few months ago about mystery and revelation? Like, um, we're going to do our best here. Then we who are alive, who are left, will, will be caught up in the clouds together with them. Who, who's the them? Those who have died, who rose first, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we... All of us will be with the Lord forever. Now, there's tons of biblical allusions and imagery and metaphor going on here, and I promise I'm not going to go into it all today, um, including Jesus himself in our gospel way back last Advent 1 um, last year. But let me make a comment about this word that we will be caught up in the clouds together with them. That's the word from which we get the interesting idea of rapture, the rapture. 
It's to be snatched up, to be caught up. I think coming through the Latin, it sounds like the word rapture. I cannot develop um, this idea today, but um, we, and I'm, I think I'm speaking on behalf of the staff, and um, feel free to talk to Robert or Gabe or others uh, if, if you don't like what I'm about to say, um, that we do not believe, and neither has the vast, vast majority of Christians throughout church history, that there is going to be another coming of Jesus that's not referred to in the Bible, a secret coming where he's going to take away his people so that they don't suffer in a tribulation. Okay. A lot there, but I'll just say this. The idea of the rapture was developed right around the time that aspirin was developed as a way to avoid pain and suffering. But um, that's for another day. The per but whatever it is, Paul does say there's going to be a snatching up. There, that those who remain, the, I mean, possibly the people he's writing to in Thessalonica, now we know not, but um, there, that somehow, it doesn't say who or how, they will be snatched up. They'll be like this quick, decisive, and almost violent um, movement bringing them to be with the Lord in the air with everyone who's already died. One other thing be, before I get to the really most important part uh, of what I think God's saying today, and that is the word meat here, which it's also in the gospel today um, about greeting the, the bridegroom. But this word meat um, is again, not the normal uh, word for meat in the Greek. It's another technical term um, that is used when a dignitary or like the king that we talked about earlier, paid an official visit, a parousia to a city. Um, the leading citizens would go out to greet him. Like they wouldn't just sit in their couches and oh, no big deal, the king's coming. They would actually go out and, and, and welcome and greet and make a big deal and then usher him back in. Do you see what we, Paul is like, he doesn't, I don't think Paul really knows what's going to happen, but he's playing with all these different things and it's going to be something like this. Something like a king coming to his own and his own place and making everything right. That's, that's a part of our hope. Our Savior and King is going to come for his own, which includes this earth that he made, and make everything right and everything new. Oh, and not only that, he's going to bring us with him when he comes to do that. At least that's what it seems to say. This, this um, is a lot, maybe. Um, but here's the most important takeaway that I think, for me anyway, uh, from this text and in this season for many of us of, of grief and trying to grieve with hope. Um, 
Paul ends this. The, the content is important. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't say it. Like Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. But note that he ends this section by saying, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Or comfort one another with these words. It's the word parakaleo. It's, it's the word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. The one who comes alongside to advocate, to comfort, to strengthen and give courage. I want to say that we can even think we're being encouraging by using lots of words. I want to emphasize here that Paul is saying, comfort one another, encourage one another. Hope Well, and, and here's why I think he's saying that, is that don't get distracted by the rapture thing. What did Paul say? Here's our future. Together with them, with the Lord. Did you hear that? That's our future. That's our hope. Together with them, with the Lord. Now, I'm going to quote, again, I, I said that my, my hope, and I think God's hope is that hope, is that we have a hope that's durable and a hope that's embodied. And by durable, I mean it, 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 it helps us through suffering. And by embodied, I mean through the experience of our minds and bodies with communion, with other believers, with family, God willing, it's like encoded in our minds and bodies. We have a taste of what we're longing for. Hope is related to memory. Just... Think of a little kid. Think of the whole concept of attachment theory. A child develops hope when it knows it's loved, comforted, safe, and secure with its mom or dad. And so there's an embodied memory that that person will come for me. Amen. And so I think Paul is pointing to this. And he's not saying like, just believe this and every, you'll be fine. I think he's saying, practice this. Be with each other, with the Lord. Comfort one another. Be this for each other. And so we will develop a durable embodied hope whereby we can grieve well. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Together 
with each other, with the Lord. The invitation of what we're doing right now in this Holy Communion and the fullness of it and what it is and what it hopes for. Like, we have no other, we, we have two ways of encountering, actually we have one way of encountering Jesus, which is our, who is our hope? We've already established that, right? We have one way of encountering him. Okay, two. The Holy Spirit, but that wasn't what I was going to say. Through his body. And we encounter his body this way and this way. And having that durable, embodied hope, that memory that Jesus has been present to me and Jesus will be present for me. Dear ones, brothers and sisters, let us comfort and encourage one another.